The general impression most people have of rock and roll is sorely off the mark. This idea that rock and roll exists only to propel bad behavior, to exalt tacky Dionysian pomposity, and inflate the egos of the characters that reside within it is outdated, off-target, and quite honestly, tiresome. When you play a music that isn't even the 10th most popular form of music, there are no trumpets that blare upon your arrival— The only thing to greet you is the smell of urine and beer mixed into the dirty carpet on the floor of the club from the previous night's show. To be in a rock band in 2020 and have it be your vocation takes the tenacity of 10 rabid dogs. Why anyone would dare try indicates an overabundance of either stupidity or conceit or both. In our defense, We started our band when we were very young and had no idea of the rats and snakes waiting in the shadows. When I think about it sometimes, it makes me physically shudder. For as rigged a game as rock and roll is, it's also the great leveler. Never has the term, be nice to people on your way up, you'll meet them on the way down, been more fitting than in the world of rock and roll, mainly because success may not be guaranteed, but failure is. No matter how successful a band gets, there is always a fall. Maybe for some, the fall isn't that deep, but there is a fall. For some, they're never heard from again. You can be king shit for one tour, headlining sold-out venues, and openers for the very next tour you do. So, when it comes to this line of business, my suggestion would be fragile egos and insecure people need not apply. You'll get eaten up. Of course, this never stops bad behavior from happening. The industry is almost a magnet for assholes and shitheads. But most of the time, these people don't get to stick around for too long. And if they happen to get successful, it isn't without a parade of eye-rolling scouts who spread the reconnaissance, warning the rest of the industry. Unbeknownst to these egomaniacal assholes, they become the butt of everyone's joke behind their back. When we started our band, I honestly thought, and still think to this day we are the greatest band on the planet. The only amendment I've learned to make is the idea that not everyone knows that yet. So we keep touring, we keep making albums, and keep trying to show everyone that we are. Along the way, bands have opened for us, and some of those bands have gone on to greater heights. That's the rock and roll game. I love how all bets are off. I love how everyone and everything is fair game. Over the years, bands like Three Days Grace, Andrew W.K., Default, The Deers, and Death From Above, 1979, have all opened for us and, of course, gone on to greater success and or greater critical acclaim. A band like Pez opened up for us back in 2000 or 2001 and went on to massive arena rock fame. Today, they're known to the world as Billy Talent. We went from having them open for us to opening for them. A few years back, we were main support for a pretty legendary show they headlined at Tim Horton's football field in Hamilton, Ontario, that also included the punk rock legend's Teenage Head. It was a pleasure to do it, and it's nice to see success come to people who are grounded. Makes it feel like the universe does favor the good guys. Of course, with five albums and counting, Billy Talent have become one of Canada's greatest musical exports, a far cry from their Pez beginnings. 
Doing this podcast during COVID has allowed me to reach out to my fellow musicians and see how they're doing and maybe commiserate together while we all wait for a vaccine to come down the pipe. And so for this, Ian DeSaw, guitarist of Billy Talent, is a great guy to talk to. Ian's always struck me as a level-headed, calm individual who conducts himself with poise. He's all-around nice guy. A perfect person for a high-strung person like me to talk to during these dark times and maybe siphon a bit of Ian's optimism. I caught up with him while he was in the studio doing what he does best when he's not on stage, recording, producing, and working away. As we head into the second wave, we must adhere to the health guidelines scientists and doctors have laid out stronger than ever before. We need to check in with one another, especially the elderly and people in the vulnerable groups. And something you don't hear at all anymore, but we need to treat frontline workers with respect and gratitude. Of course, there are the hospital workers who risk their lives every day, but I'm also talking about the grocery clerks too. You heard everyone praising them at the top of the pandemic, but all I'm seeing now are iPhone videos of people treating them terribly. Here's another phrase no one uses anymore, flatten the curve. The vaccines are on their way. Pfizer, biotech, the Moderna one, the Johnson Johnson one, and the Oxford AstraZeneca ones. We just have to sit tight and be patient. We will get through this. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you dig it, check out the other 246 episodes I've done. This is Ian's second time being on the podcast, too. The first time was back in 2013, episode number 44, and that was with Cone McCaslin of Sum 41. I've been doing this podcast for nine years, and I have no plans of stopping. So please, check it out. Leave a rating. Leave a review. You can even subscribe. It's all free. Everything is free. I don't, I don't have any Patreon. I have nothing. I just want to do it because I love to hear the sound of my own voice. So if you can leave a rating or review, please do it. It helps the podcast. And a lot of comments and reviews make the podcast look good too. Okay, so let's do this. Let's start this one. It's with Ian DeSaw, guitarist of Billy Talent, and it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around. They play the kid and take us, go out, tell them for free. I'm sad, glad I like to sometimes. Take me in from fucked up. Stop playing hang down, down. When the weather is bad and there's nothing much to do, take a listen, would you now, to what Danko Jones would do? It's the middle of the night and you better do it fast. Turn the speakers up loud for Danko's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Get ready, because the Danko Jones Podcast starts! Hey, man. Hey. How's it going? What's going on, man? How you been? Uh, been okay. Are you in the studio or something? Yeah, this is our, uh, this is our digs right here, our uh, studio where we kind of track everything. Got uh, get some guitars going back here, as you can see. Yeah, man, it looks super pro. I yeah. thought that was your bedroom. That's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's semi pro. I guess it's it's not really pro, but it's it's just like a collection of stuff we've got over the years, and uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. You know, I'm just doing this thing because uh, um, I went weekly with the podcast because I had nothing else to do. 
and uh, it's been seven months. I've kept kept it going, but now it's become a, a thing where um, it keeps me sane, talking to people in the same uh, predicament as as yeah. our band is in. You guys are in the same situation where we're just stuck at home or in the studio or just you know grounded basically. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So how's it been? over the last seven months. I know we touched base at the top of the pandemic and seven months later, how are you uh, dealing with all this? It's, you know, of course we miss touring and, uh, and just being on the road and, and, uh, you know, playing shows and seeing our fans. And that's the, you know, the thing we miss the most. We were supposed to do a whole summer of touring, uh, over in Europe and, uh, and in Canada as well and the UK and yeah, it's uh, it's all being kind of postponed till next year, and whether that happens or not is the question, I guess, right? I'm I'm sure same with you guys, right? Yeah, uh, five tours off the table. Yeah, and uh, you know, just hoping, just waiting to go back out there, and you know, uh, at the top of the pandemic, I was obsessed with vaccine news and treatment news, and then I kind of backed off a bit because. It would literally be two hours of like great mood followed by two hours of complete like depression. Yeah. And that yeah. was driving me crazy. So I stepped back and now I can see the bigger picture and it seems like things will think we're, we're here for about another year, but it'll get back to normal eventually. Yeah, it, feel, it does feel like it's going to go longer than what they projected back in March. You know, um, I feel like this will this will go on a little bit longer than we thought. Um, and it's really all up to a vaccine. Right. So. So what what are the what are the things that Ian Desaad does for seven months besides make songs and record and music wise? Are you well, playing Frisbee like competitive Frisbee uh, snooker? What is it? Um, well, we, we were actually in the middle of the record when all of this, uh, started making a, a record. And, uh, so I guess the timing wasn't too bad because in, you know, instead of touring and then having to finish the record in between tours, um, we were able to focus, uh, sadly my, my mom passed away in May. Yes. Um, my condolences, man. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, th that was a heavy one for me. So mm -hmm. I, I needed a bit of time after that. So we, we just, we just took a few months off of doing anything really, and uh, and I spent some time with my dad and my brother and his family, and and uh, and that was great. You know, all those things that you don't get to do when you're touring and you know working all the time. Um, I felt like I got to do over the over the summer months, and uh, now we're, you know, I'm back here in the studio and just wrapping up guitars pretty much. So. Yeah, we're uh, it's uh, it's kind of be nice in a way to reconnect with family and 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 uh, and just be able to finish a record with without the you know touring constant uh, interruptions of touring and things like that. But uh, we 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 really miss touring, and uh, I'm sure you do too. That's the that's the main thing, right? Yeah, I, I miss complaining about going home while on tour. <laughs> Isn't it funny, right? When you're on tour, you're like, oh man, so sometimes, right? And the, the flights and the travel and all that. And uh, yeah, when you're home for too long, you you miss that, right? Uh, so so um, 
you brought it up. I, I was I was I didn't know if I could bring it up, but you did bring up the fact that you're working on a record right now. Yeah. yeah. And you're working on guitars right now. And yeah. is is this a known thing in the Billy Talent world about you and guitars? Like recording guitars? Because I don't think a lot of people know how you record guitars. Is this an industry secret or a or a rumor or because I know and I don't know how much people know or are allowed to know that you record guitars in a way I've never heard anyone record and it is I think I think it's easier to sit in a room and listen to someone drive their fingernails on a chalkboard <laughs> than it is to record your guitars the way it's been described to me. I've never I've never seen you do it, but the yeah. way it's been described to me is is excruciating. It's it's I mean it's it's I, I'm impressed, it's impressive. But yeah. can we talk about that? Because yeah, I yeah, I've wanted course. to talk to you yeah. about it like off I, like off the record, and I've never yeah. never had a chance. You know, it, it. I mean, I don't do everything on the molecular level um, all the time, but uh, for you know main guitars, the thing is, you know, obviously you're a single guitar player in the band, right? One guitar player. It's like how do you make a big sound that has a stereo image? Um, and put, you know, eight guitar tracks doing different things maybe um, in, a, in a recording. And uh, it, that's a hard thing to do because if you put too much, then it just sounds like a, a mess of orchestra with the tuning variations and things like that. So I, I tend to punch, you know, very small sections and then double, double them um, until I get, you know, the imaging right. And it's, uh, so it sounds like one guitar player and then, then layer from there. And it's, uh, it is. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of like a construction in a way, but, uh, uh, I, I, it's a, a lot for me to do with it is tuning. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. uh, tuning is, is, is such an important thing to me that like if I, I can hear things that are really out of tune um, a lot and you hear it from older recordings from the seventies and, and sixties, especially, right. You hear it like you could actually hear it. Um, so it's a combination of getting the tuning right and getting the performance and, and, uh, yeah, we kind of have a interesting tech. I don't want to bore you with like the, I, I'm not bored. I've been wanting to ask <laughs> you about this. I, I don't care if anyone else is bored. I, I want to hear this. Well, just like punching, punching the main chords, like, like getting it perfectly in tune and then punching them and then playing around them, playing a, a live track around them and then slicing them in is uh, kind of the way we go about doing guitars. So, so to be clear, because uh, people might get the wrong impression, you're not playing like your standard power chord, right? You're playing that, like you're playing like jazz chords. You're playing like crazy. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like the chord voicings I play. Um, are really hard to to get across, especially distorted, right? It's basically right. some some of the chords are open tuning, uh, some are jazz chords, and when you put a bunch of distortion through amps and things on there, then it just sounds like a mess, right? So, so it's you know those chords will punch, and then then I'll I'll play like a kind of a, like what I call an in between track around it, so a live track, and then slice in you know, some of the movement and, and, uh, yeah, it is, it is a really time, time consuming process, but, uh, it's so, the sound of, we started, it was actually, we started doing that on the second record on Billy Town too. 
and um, it just it has a has a unique sound to it as well. Okay, so when Eric told me about this, because Eric Ratz is who the, yeah. my source, right? He told me that like ah, recording ah. guitars for Ian is like a very painstaking thing, and then he described it to me, and I said, Eric, has someone told Ian like this? formation it's a power cord you just slide it up and down the neck and you're done you're done is if the song is in three minutes you're done in three minutes um, so so he kind of described to me the, the the process and the reason why that's not the way it is um but okay there's lots of questions i have first of all if it's tuning if tuning is the issue not I, i'm not questioning your playing and i don't think anyone should but if tuning is the issue, have you thought of using one of those ever-tuned guitars? Yeah, I actually uh, a, a friend Ramesh, who's a producer, uh, he he was the one that told me about them, and he said yeah. he'd been using them. Um, and uh, yeah, I do want to try those out because that would completely it, it might save us a lot of time and. Uh, it's a uh, it's a really good concept because it's a mechanical tuning system, right? Yeah, when we were recording with Garth Richardson for our last record in Vancouver, Devin Townsend came down to the studio and gave, kind of gave us a, like an impromptu tutorial about the guitar. He had it, and he was showing us you can tune it uh, where it can it, it can snap back; it'll never go out of tune, even if you bend it. Or you can tune it where you can do bends, but then it'll snap back. Like you can, you can, you know, choose how you, how the guitar sounds. Like you, it doesn't have to be this like um, robotic sound. The only thing is, I think you do scrape in a lot of the guitar itself. Like yeah. you, you, you kind of take it inside out. So but, the tuning compensates for fretted chords? Yeah, like you can do it. Yeah, you can do a chord and, and it'll stay in tune. Like if you do like a solo where you do bends and all this stuff, yeah, you can you can. Uh, <clears throat> there's a setting where it will do the bends, and then snap back into place when you're finished the bend. Oh, or there's oh, cool. a setting where no matter how high how hard you bend that string, it'll always be in that in that note. Right. So yeah, there's that as well. Yeah. I, 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 I've read a little bit about it. I don't know them too much, but one of the things that turned me off right away was having to route wood out of your guitar. And, yes. And uh, like some of my favorite sounding guitars here are obviously like really old ones, like 70s, 70s Fender Tellys. And uh, yeah, I couldn't, I don't know if I'd want to route wood out, but I don't know. Maybe it'd be worth one sacrificial guitar just to, to get to it. Oh, yeah. Have you used this thing then? We used it with uh, with Garth for he had one guitar that that was yeah. an Evertune. Like out of like you know the ten twelve guitars we had in the studio, there was one, and yeah, it, we used it, and it was it was I was like wow, it, it just saves time, you know. And I'm thinking yeah. about you're the first person who came to mind because I know how you know crazy you are with you know recording guitars and and you must get loopy at the end of it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, this is like, uh, this is kind of the end of the process. And I'm like, and I say the same thing every time. Man, I'm never doing it like this again. But it's, <laughs> I end up doing it for some reason. And I think the reason is just if you listen to everything on the radio today, a, a majority of music's made electronically, right? So everything's perfectly in tune. 
and then you throw a rock band in into that mix and and it you know if uh if it isn't to in tune then it it kind of sounds like garbage next to it you know what i mean i think it's uh it's oh, one of the things about the modern you know modern music that if we want to stay modern it's also got to you know have great tuning in it well then my next question is which I've already asked Eric. I've all all these questions I'm asking you. I've already asked Eric. But what do you do in a live situation? You can live, pl- you can uh, play it. You can play the the song and all the chords. But what happens? Yeah. I I don't. Yeah. I guess it, I guess for me it's it's a live situation. So it's it's you know I've got I I tune every couple songs and use the same guitar pretty much the whole. You know, set so that the sound doesn't. I mean, the tuning is pretty stable, um, but it's live. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's different. I think uh, making a record is is just way, way different for me than than uh, playing live. It's a uh, it's a different kind of experience. Interesting. You're, you're t- also. I must warn you. You're talking to a guy who the crowd has to tell me that the guitar is out of tune. <laughs> well, you don't have a tuner live. No, I do. I just don't have an ear. You just, oh right! <laughs> I don't have an ear. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's really funny. I'm too busy telling everybody that uh, let's rock, let's let's rock out. It's time to rock out. I, I don't care about I get, this. I get anxiety about it. Like if if I'm playing a song, I can hear it in the middle of the song. I'm like, oh my god, this thing's out of tune. And then I'll I'll wait. Like I can't wait to be done just so I can tune it. It's like it's it's a weird obsession of mine. I I, I don't know why, but. Uh, it's uh, it's just one of those things. I'm more of a, I'll make a fart noise with my mouth. Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's it's interesting because because uh, I find uh, producers and you are a producer. You're you're in the you're in the band, but you're a producer uh, uh, apart from the band with other bands. Um, mm-hmm. producers, engineers that I hang out with, they can't listen to music anymore, really, um, because they can't um, disengage from whatever it is, whether it's the tuning, whether it's the, 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 the tempo, the pace, whatever it is. There's something about any recording that they will nitpick on. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just takes, so how have you been, you know, it seems to me that you are, you have two, two fingers in these, both these worlds. How are you as a, as a musician and producer, like when you listen to music, can you detach or are you slowly finding that you can't listen to music anymore? I I can listen. I mean, for me, it's all, all the, it's all, it's all got to be in context, right? Like if you have a band that has two guitar players, then it's not about necessarily getting you know, you want to have great tuning, but um, it, you the stereo image is a little bit different because you want to have you know that other guitar player sound doing their thing in the uh, you know left speaker maybe, and then the other guitar player in the right differently. You know, it's like even even if it's a tuning thing. So um, for I, I guess it's just for our sound that we we kind of established on our second record, it's. Uh, the one guitar player sound. I want it to sound kind of a bit menacing and, and in your face and and uh, and have a really good stereo image. So, um, yeah, it, I've definitely dialed in my thing. When when working with other bands, I kind of look at what they do, 
and what they're trying to get across live when I go out to a club to see them and uh, that would and then translate that to music right it's not uh, it's all subjective I guess now as a producer do you and you know a guitar player in a band when you're producing a band do you just have the urge to go just just give me the guitar man I will <laughs> I'll nail it just 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 I, I might take a break <laughs> oh my oh my god you're not getting this can you can you just give me your guitar so i can just nail this <laughs> no I'll, i i would do it in a nice way i'll be like hey this is you know it's just like this you know like just kind of show them and uh hopefully we get it <laughs> that's interesting yeah you like you you strike me as like a renaissance guy over the years i've i first met you just as the guitar player and billy talent but over the years, I've realized, oh, he's producing now. Oh, he has a label. Like, you've got a lot of things going on beyond just being, you know, singer, uh, uh, songwriter, guitar player, and Billy Talent. Well, I think, yeah, a lot of that just came out of necessity because, um, you know, we, we had, we'd done the producer route. We worked with Gavin Brown on, on, on the first record. Um, I co-produced with him, and then we worked with Brendan O'Brien on our third record. And as you get older and, and more experienced in the studio, you just pick things up. And, and I, by that point, you know, had a nice collection of guitars and gear and amplifiers and, and was getting into the production end of it. So it just kind of made sense. And then with the, with the label thing, there was a band I was working with that um, we had a, a, a – they were going to about to make a record, and it fell through with a certain producer in the – um, I ended up kind of stepping in, but we had no label to release it. So I just said, why don't I just start one with, with Eric and Harry? And, uh, and uh, that's how we ended up with uh, Hard. With Hard, H-R-D, which is yeah. the first letter of your last names. Yeah, H-S, uh, Rats, Desai, yeah. And really bad labeled name, but... <laughs> Eric told me that you guys didn't even think of Hard when you did the acronym. We needed a, a person with the last name that started with A, and then it would have been hard, but uh, we're missing the A. So if you know anyone, uh, looking for a partner. No, I don't. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, so so uh, when you say you're working with a band uh, and then the label formed, can we go back as to how you even started looking and working with bands. Um, what made the I, jump? Well, well, I, you, you know, right from the beginning, like uh, Johnny had a in our when I we were rehearsing in our parents' basement as, as Pez. Johnny had a four-track recorder, and I was like, "Why don't we make some demos from this basement?" So, using a couple Radio Shack mics at the time, I just used this four-track, and I loved it. I loved the process of it. I loved. Uh, you know, being able to mix down four tracks on my home stereo and make a demo cassette back in 1994. And then from then onwards, I just really got grew more interested in it. Um, and then uh, when around the time, I think it was our second record had just come out, our label Warner asked me if I consider producing a band and it was uh, Die Mannequin. And so I did two songs and this, produced two songs for them in the studio and uh, it just it felt natural to me, and, and I wanted to keep doing that. What made them uh, ask you? Obviously, they're, they're not going to just ask anybody. I think it was because I, I just uh, finished co-producing our last record. It was okay. our second record with Gavin Brown. 
Um, and I guess after that, there was a, a bit of interest. So I, I wanted to do things outside of my band at that point, and uh, I just kind of, you know, see see what you know what I'm capable of, and uh, and learn from there. And it's all it's all just being a learning thing for me. I, I'm really interested in and. And I, uh, you, you keep learning every time you do a project, right? So, how how does it work when you are producing your own band and with your own uh, bandmates? Um, you know, there's a thing. The reason why there's a outside producer brought in many times is they act as the coach, but also the mediator, um, also the you know the outside party that people can kind of either vent to or throw ideas to rather than to each other. Because, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's a lot of baggage or nobody wants to hurt anyone's feelings. So if you're in the producer's seat with your own bandmates, how do you how do you guys work through that? You have to keep you have to keep an open mind and it's got to be uh, a group discussion. You know, if someone has a, a concern about something or wants to see the song go in a different direction or or lyrically. Um, you, you got to be open to it, and uh, I, I certainly am. And uh, it, it, it's—I think in the early days it was important to have that outside voice. And as uh, you know, the band got, you know, c carried on. I, I think uh, I just kind of fell into that role because it felt more natural, and I felt capable of of doing that. You know, being being in that role because I've I've learned I've learned from a lot of greats like Gavin. Gavin, who you've worked with, and he played drums in your band a long, long time ago. I learned a lot from him and and uh, Brennan O'Brien, and and you take all these experiences and kind of apply them to your thing. And you know, it's uh, it's uh, there. We've been having some pretty good results. So um, for me, for me also, I, I think it's uh, like go, looking back on some of my favorite bands from the '70s. They everything was self-produced. Like Jimmy Page produced. Those Led Zeppelin records and and Pink Floyd uh, produced their own records. So it to me it's another it, it's a continuation of the art form. Um, it's not just like the songs are the written songs of the band and and then it doesn't you know the producing is is part of that for me. You know it's kind of like if a, a painter had a great idea for a painting and then handed it off to someone else to to actually physically paint. That's, that's the way I kind of view it in, in a way sometimes. Well, I mean, like the dynamic in Zeppelin back in the day, uh, as we all know, like, you know, Plant was a nobody and Page was already very established. So there was yeah. initially, not anymore, obviously, but initially there was like a bit of a hierarchy. But you guys rose up together in the band, right? And Billy Talent. Um, so, you know, in our band, whenever there is a suggestion thrown and it's usually them. It's usually them suggesting to me rather than me suggesting to them. Because I, I don't know. The drum, the drum fill sounds great. I don't know, um, or the bass sounds great. I don't know. Um, but, but, but it's whether it's whether it's a suggestion thrown to whoever, it's done in. I won't say eggshells, but we we do it in a in a kind way if we wanted yeah. to make a suggestion now. For example, when you're you know working with Ben in the studio doing vocals, like yeah. he's got to be open and trusting of you uh, to just to to go to go through us to go through the recording of of a song, right? The yeah. way, for example, yeah. with me and Eric, because Eric's not in the band, there's this kind of he has a 
and more of an objective point of view that I'll be like, okay, you know, I, I can, I can deal with it. But th- th- there's so much baggage with a band. Um, um, not that we have, not that we're troubled, but you know, like we want to be kind to each other. You know, you don't want to step on anyone's toes. No, so, and, and that's something that comes with age too, right? Yeah. Like back in, I, I, you know, back in high school, you might say, oh man, that sucks, dude. Like you, you just learn how to uh, phrase things when you're in this thing you know for so long with the same members and it's uh uh i'm really grateful that you know when i'm recording ben's vocals like he he does trust me and uh and the rest of the band trusts me and, and that's uh that's a nice feeling to have yeah um and i i don't want to let him down either and, and that's why I've, I've been you know working on on i work on these records so hard i think you know being around enough band people and the ego maniacs that are in the industry i think what you guys have as you uh producing it and them trusting you is a very rare thing yeah, yeah. i i would say i would say so too i mean i don't I, I i don't know how a lot of other bands work but uh i i guess you know it's nice to have the self-contained feeling of our band you know we 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 kind of we kind of just do everything ourselves and it feels good you know mm. yeah i think <clears throat> you know jc's in our band you know, he's he's really good he's at really, um, um arranging and, and rich and and jc are really good at you know arranging and 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 uh tones and and what sounds good and stuff and uh yeah you guys kind of do that as a band as well right like doesn't jc manage you guys or yeah, in in that respect, we are self-contained as well. Uh, but he doesn't manage us anymore. We have a manager, but he did for, oh, I don't know. I'm right. Yeah. yeah, like 12, 13 years or maybe 14 years. I don't even know. But um, but when it comes to the recording of, of, of everything, uh, even then, we, we, we bring the songs or almost done i mean there's only maybe slight changes here and there and even then those are options whether to take them or not you know mm-hmm. um so we're 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 pretty self-contained too uh in other fields and between our two bands i think we're it's very rare for for bands like ours yeah. to to be like this well and the longevity too it's it's uh it's pretty you know so many bands that we kind of grew up with have broken up um maybe come back a little bit later and and you're probably one of the few bands that we've you know probably known since the late 90s we opened up for you guys a long time ago in the 90s i believe sorry and, uh, sorry uh, you broke up I, I didn't get that you you opened for us this one. <laughs> we opened up for danko jones when we were Pez. yeah i remember and, that, uh, that do was, you uh, do you remember that gig the guelph I, I think it was Guelph. I, it might have been Guelph, but there, I remember that gig because. Do you yeah. remember the fight? There was after- a fight afterwards. Yeah, it was at some. And there was a parking lot fight. I think after or in the bar, and that spilled out into the parking lot. Yeah. And it was wild because the two guys <laughs> took off their shirts, and they both looked like UFC fighters, from what I remember. <laughs> and it was us. We were all. I think you guys were with us too. All the guys in the bands that night were watching, yeah. like not watching, but we were far away just watching this spectacle. And then we just yeah. were like, we got to get out of here. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we, I remember we were all standing that you had a van and trailer parked out 
back and it was like we were all just standing there watching this and then (laughs) we got in our separate cars and just took off yeah and i remember that show because our sound man at the time was uh, james cabaluzzo that for that night james uh he was uh the uh he's uh mal havoc the singer of Mal Mal Havoc. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Yeah, so he was doing sound for us that night. I remember that. We were all just watching this crazy fight just go down. That's why I remember that gig with you guys very well. It's crazy. No, I totally remember that. That was funny. I remember the neon, there was like that, you know, those neon sign thing out front. Yeah. We were were, were so stoked because it said, with opening guest, Pez. And it was like the first time we've seen our name on a marquee type thing, so it was pretty cool. Echo <laughs> Jones with open yes, Pez. I think I might have some sort of uh, article with that with your name in it somewhere. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Uh, for that show. Yeah, it's. I used to like. I'd say for the first ten years of our band, I kept everything. Oh like, right. Every article, and then after a while, I'm like, right. it's just the same thing over and over again. Same photos, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty good with the early days. So I, I know there's, I know there is a either that or a listing or something I, I, I kept. Right. So That's yeah, good. yeah. So what do you, what have you been doing uh, during this whole pandemic to keep busy? Besides um, these podcasts. Yeah, the podcast I do that weekly, and that's really um, uh, helped me think about things, uh, and it. it Keeps me, keeps me, uh, you know, like going off going, oh my God, you know, woe is me. Well, woe is every one of us. Everybody has the same story pretty much. And so that keeps me like, okay, we're all in this together. And then, um, like I told you on a text, I'm cooking a little bit more, which I'm, I'm not a good cook, but I'm adding a few more dishes to the repertoire. Making a kima dish, right? Yeah. Kima is, I'm an (laughs) expert now. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, just, you know, with the passing of Eddie Van Halen this week, for example, I, I, I wrote a few articles for magazines and stuff and, and, and online blogs and just busy like that. But uh, try, I want to get back to writing more for because for, uh, uh, two of the publications that I used to write for went under. So it's it's been. Was, you write for HuffPost at one point, or? Uh, yeah, like years ago now. Like that. I, I read like a couple things on five on... or six years ago. Yeah, um, but uh, I don't think anyone really writes for Huffington Post. Is that even a thing now? I, I don't know. I I read a few of your articles. Uh, I think it was it might have been HuffPost, or maybe it was uh, you know somewhere else like Exclaim or something. Yeah, well, well cl- Close Up Magazine in uh, Sweden cl- closed down. Uh, Rock Zone Magazine in Spain went online, and things are changing, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, how 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 our albums get released and and word is spread is is a is a new a new animal now. It's like a new right. game. Oh, for sure. Yeah, everything is uh, definitely online now. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I get it. I've got to get, uh, yeah, I, I, I rarely go on social media and it's something I should try to do more. Um, yeah, just cause you're, yeah, you're right. Everything's, it's totally changing now, right? Yeah. I, I'm on, I'm online, you know, a lot, uh, partly because I'm home a lot, but also cause I want to know how things are going. I want to see where things are moving towards because we're in a, for music, the music industry, we're in a 
position now where nobody really knows how this thing works anymore. Before it was so easy. You just release a record, you plug it into the various um, journalists and away you go. But now things are changing. So I don't know. I have no idea, man. But, uh, but yeah, man, I just, you know, I wanted to talk to you because uh, I wanted to see how you guys were coping and how you guys were doing at the top of the pandemic. Yeah. I, I, basically at the top, I was like, how are you guys doing? Are you guys, hey, Ian, are you okay? Like, how's it going? And now seven months later, it's like, hey, you know, now we. Yeah, we, yeah. You kind of got used to it now, right? It's. For the first two months, there was there was a lot of anxiety and and uh, I guess fear of you know what's going to happen. Like what's you know what does the next two years of our of a musician's life look like? Right, not being able to play shows. One of the guys that I should have talked to at the top, but only recently talked to, was Blaine from Nashville Pussy. Yeah, and he's just so laid back, and hearing him talk about the pandemic was really calming. And he was just like, yeah, well, we were on a six-month break, and uh, if it's going to last for another year, I guess I'm going to be home for another 12 months, you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I need to hear a voice like that, you know. Those are yeah. the voices I need to hear. And uh, so, yeah, it's great. Actually, he just came out with a spoken word album. Oh, did he? Yeah, if you got Spotify, you should listen to it. It's the album of the year. Spoken word, oh. Because he just goes through the cycle of... Uh, High as Hell, their 2000, year 2000 album. Wow. And it's great, just him talking. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I used to, uh, I used to go to Rollins, see, see Rollins do spoken word all the time. I was a big fan of that. And, uh, and you just released a Throat Funeral album, which is, would you call that spoken word or would you call that, uh, what would you call that? It's Vocal Noise. Vocal Noise, okay, cool. Yeah, it's just a noise album. I heard, the, I heard the track with Tanya and Tad on it, and, and it's pretty pretty awesome. And the saxophone, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jorgen, Jorgen Monkby, yeah. Amazing, yeah. Yes, so there's nine more tracks kind of like that, and so check it yeah, out. Check it out. Definitely out there, man. Yeah, it's so, cool. I mean, I've had it done for four or five years, hmm. and we're in lockdown. There's nothing going on, and so I just decided to release it. We were going to, I was going to, printed on vinyl before lockdown which was why it was taking long but uh forget it let's just put it out so people can hear it um so that's yeah so that i'm glad it's out there and it it's something that you know i might as well work keep working on i love i love the the, the that genre of music and it's a good offsets what we do you know which is so yeah, yeah. structured and and very um it's set up. The grid is set up. You know, hard yeah, rock, yeah. the sound, everything is set up. So this is wild and untamed, and it's refreshing. Yeah, yeah. I, there, I could see, you know, there's something liberating about having to not, you know, track to a grid and click track. And Oh, my and God, just... Ian, this is for you, too. This is for <laughs> I'm you. I'm going to try it. Maybe I'll guest on the next Throat Funeral record. Oh, will you scream? I screams I want to I get out. Yeah, that would be amazing. amazing so so yeah i mean this has just been an exercise in keeping in touch with everybody since you know i i can't i can't meet anybody we can't see each other face to face you know um even though we're in the same city um and this way it just keeps me sane a little bit you know 
Yeah, good. No, it's good. You got to do it. You got to do it. And you've been doing this podcast for a long time. Nine years. I remember we did one in Australia. We yeah. were in Australia. We did our first podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Me, you, and Cone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, you, you want to know it's crazy. Remember that, remember that time in Australia when uh, Carrie King came up to you? Oh yeah, yeah, that was weird, right? Yeah, and he, and he then thought, I think he thought I was gay. Yeah, he did a fist bump with me. We all figured I, it out. I'd never met him before, but I'm a huge Slayer. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember <laughs> I was like, oh my I was god, standing right next to you. Yeah, I, 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 I turned to you. I'm like, oh my god, you, you're buds with Carrie King. I'm like, no, I've never met him before, but it was super cool. And and then I just realized, you know. Sum 41 did a track with, with Carrie King, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and they were playing the festival, too, so he yeah. probably just you know, mixed me and Dave up like a lot of people do. <laughs> and you want to know what's so crazy is while we've been talking, Dave just texted me. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, I saw Dave. I saw Dave just a couple weeks ago for Cone's uh, 40th birthday. Oh, cool. Oh, that's cool. But, uh, Ian, man, I'm going to let you go because uh, I know you're yeah, uh, you're going to – you're busy in the studio, not at home like me. No worries, man. <laughs> okay, brother. Nice talking to you. Okay, have a good lunch, man. Have a good weekend, eh? You too. Shut up.